Who decides medicine prices? How are vaccines made? Hello, my name is Elaine Cruikshanks, and I'm delighted to welcome you today to the latest in the series of FBS 19 Conversation podcasts. I'm going to be joined by three eminent experts in the area of vaccines, and we're going to be discussing today something called the European Centre for Disease Control, or the ECDC, and how the EU is proposing to strengthen that institution in the wake of COVID-19. So what is the ECDC? Well, you may be familiar with various facts and figures that have been coming out on a daily basis about infection rates on COVID-19. Well, in the European theatre, those actually emanate from the European Centre for Disease Control. That's one of their many functions, i.e. disease surveillance, but they also are involved in crisis preparedness, public health communication, training, and providing scientific advice. So with COVID-19, there's been something of a strategic rethink about what should we do better in preparedness for any future pandemic and what are the lessons learned from the COVID-19 experience. So this gave rise to the European Commission coming up with a proposal to revise the mandate of the ECDC in the Brussels bubble, in the European Council and the European Parliament. So first of all, if I can introduce Professor Dr. Joe Smith, He is the Global Health Press Editor-in-Chief. He's also a very busy vaccine consultant, and he's currently involved in an EU-funded project with the University of Cologne, which has no less than 50 sites involved in a study. He's formerly very senior positions at both Pfizer and Novartis in the vaccines area inside the vaccines industry. And he's also been an advisor to the Paul Ehrlich Institute and also to the Robert Koch Institute, where he was a member and chairman earlier on in his career. Secondly, I'd like to introduce Professor Paolo Bonani. He's a professor of hygiene and public health at the University of Florence. And then thirdly, I'm delighted to welcome Sibelia Calici, who's actually, since the beginning of this year, um, the executive director of Vaccines Europe, having formerly worked at MSD and Sanofi Pasteur MSD, two major vaccine manufacturers. So perhaps just to kick things off, Sibili, I can put you on the spot and ask you maybe to give us a few words as to what you think the Commission's proposal on the ECD mandate should contain and how they intend to address some of the issues that were exposed in COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, thank you very much, Elaine. Indeed, and we, as Vaccines Europe, we definitely very much welcome the uh, European Commission proposal to expand the CDC mandate. We actually have seen that in the light of the pandemic, we need more than ever as to what infectious disease of concern where viruses definitely know, uh, have no borders, that we need to have an harmonized, a timely and a coordinated approach as to how we collect data for surveillance studies as well as for monitoring studies. So in order to do that, it's really important that the ECDC benefits from the support of the member states to have access to those data and to provide clear guidance as well to the member states. But not only to the member states, it's also for us as vaccines developers and manufacturers because those data are critical to the development of vaccines 
as well as for us to identify the right supply of these vaccines to be provided. So in that effect, from the proposal, we also hope that it will allow a transparent collaboration between the ECDC as a new institutions with the industry, which is hardly the case today. Okay, so that's an interesting point amongst many is uh, that industry cooperation with the ECDC, who's rather, I think, had a very distant relationship with the industry. I wonder, Joe, if I can turn to you, what's your view as to the lessons learned from COVID-19 and how that cooperation amongst other issues could actually enhance how we could deal with future pandemics at EU level? First of all, I just can support what was just said, that there is not enough interaction between industry and ECDC. It is very limited to a few hours a year. It is very focused on special topics, and it is not focused on topics like how should the vaccine look like. Supply is not the only issue, is what vaccines are needed in Europe? How should they look like? Which are the serotypes, the genotypes, whatever, that need to be included here? And all that information is not going along from industry to ECDC or the other way around. I want to go as far as if you go to Eurosurveillance and if your industry and you want to publish in the ECDC Eurosurveillance Journal, it will be rejected. So that is not the way this collaboration works. It's a one-way road. We tell you what to do. In the consequence, it is we in Europe don't get what we need. And I can say this having worked at a global level in an American company, which is Pfizer. Now, the second is I always believed that ECDC was there for pandemic preparedness and for between border protections. Actually, I'm living in Germany right now, and I didn't hear much anywhere from ECDC. Unless you go to the internet and look what they have there, they're simply not present. And I'm wondering even what was the pre-pandemic preparedness here? I think this has to be highlighted much more and they have to become much more active and they probably need resources for that. But they have to be in a position to provide scientific guidance for protection between borders. Mm-hmm. That's a very good point. And I can turn to you now, uh, Professor Paolo Bonani, to get your views. Do you agree with what's been said by Sibelia and Joe or do you have a different perspective from your, your academic viewpoint in Florence? No, no, I basically agree with what they already said. Uh, I want to give some additional points. Uh, I think that uh, the ACDC should be strengthened in its mission and uh, more uh, resources should be devoted to this uh, potentially very important uh, transnational body. Uh, I'm sure that we cannot change the constitutional principles of uh, the EU where health is a responsibility of each country. But for sure, we can find room to expand uh, the role of the ACDC. So, for instance, we should be able to set a, a basic uh, number of information that each country should provide to the ACDC in, in order to make them able to perform a better surveillance with the common uh, principles and common data. Uh, the problem is that sometimes uh, the single countries send the data in a different format or their surveillance system is, is not the same everywhere. So I think we cannot change the surveillance systems of the single countries, but we should say, look, this is the basic set of of data that we need in order to build a EU database, which is useful for everybody, for every country. And also for the guidance, I think that uh, since we cannot change the rules 
We cannot devolve the responsibility of health to the EU if it's a national responsibility. But if we build a body which is recognized as very credible and it's made by people who are considered the top experts in the field of vaccinology and infectious disease preparedness and response to pandemic threats, I think that although each country is not compelled to give the data and to collaborate, but the credibility of the ECDC made by very influential and very skilled and clever people might make it very difficult for a single country not to collaborate. So I think we have to get there through selecting people who are very clever, very able to do their job, and to increase the credibility of the ECDC as a transnational body so that everybody is keen, not only is not objecting, but it's keen to collaborate with that body. So I think this is crucial to make the ECDC a real uh, resource for the EU. So make it a a centre of excellence. I just wondered, do you have any models that you have in mind? Because quite often people will turn to America and they'll look at the Centre for Disease Control. Clearly it's a different setup and a different political structure. But are there lessons from the CDC, apart from its rather larger budget, that one could learn from in the European theatre? Maybe I'll turn to you, Joe, first. Yeah, I guess the CDC in the US has 4,000 people working for it. It may have changed a little bit since I checked last time, but I guess the CDC in Europe only has a fraction of that. I don't see a good role model because, as Paolo nicely said, health is a matter of each country, of each state, national state, and even so in Germany and in all countries that I know, down to the municipalities. So if you want to change this, you need to change sometimes even the constitution and that will not happen. So that restricts sort of their role to scientific guidance, pandemic preparedness. And what I missed in the COVID epidemic is criteria for action. Should we use incidents before closing borders, hospitalization rate, ICU admission? Politicians made the decision and not based on ECDC guidance. Again, at least I did not see it. I'm not sure what happens behind the curtains, but ECDC was not visible with a set of criteria or with a scientific guidance. And uh, politicians instead took action uh, based on whatever they thought would be best. Right. And Sibelia, from an industry point of view, we've already touched upon the the need for a better cooperation with the industry. Are there role models in terms of how that cooperation works with regulators or with similar institutions elsewhere that you can cite? So in terms, I don't know if we could call this as role models, but for sure there are actually private-public collaborations that is working efficiently, and we can cite either at member state level. So we, for example, there is a case in Germany and actually by the the Paul Helrich Institute and the Federal Institute for Drugs and Medical Device. Um, they have set up actually what they called a jour fix, which is around issues related to supply shortages. And here they have actually created an inclusive consultative group that is composed of several stakeholders, including the pharma industry, as well as the pharmacist uh, organization. And this consultative group is legally mandated, which is basically what we believe could actually work with a proposed regulation for the CDC. 
And the deliberation of this jour fix or publicly available for a newsletter issued by the Federal Institutes of Drug and Medical Devices. And we see other models like in the UK as well with the Public Health England that is interacting very well with the industry for the implementation of the immunization plan in order to anticipate the supply for their products, for instance. And again, the dialogue here also helps the manufacturers understand the critical needs for the successful vaccination system. And if we have to name two others, I mean, there is also the CDC. We can also refer to the, the CDC in the U.S., uh, the CDC actually interacts with over 350 private entities. Um, there is actually a process that allows the agencies to understand the perspective of the manufacturers and developers, and they are actually free to decide whether to incorporate or not. But at least they have the perspective of the industry and they understand better actually the challenges as well of the sector. And last, uh, we can also name the, uh, the WHO. Uh, with a scientific advisory group of experts. So this group is actually uh, an advisory group for the WHO on global immunization policies and strategies. And the industry attends this meeting for its trade association and can bring the industry perspective again, as well as contribute to the discussion as a key actor of the vaccine ecosystem. And as an illustration with regards to our collaboration with WHO, as Vaccines Europe, all members have meetings with both as the WHO and UNICEF, for instance, notably on polio eradication immunization programs to best support preparedness and implementation. And here it's actually feeding the way to adapt the strategy uh, to what is needed. So we have actually examples of models where the industry can work with the public health institutions in a collaborative manner with the aim to support public health in the end. And Paolo, I think these are great examples. Just turning to perhaps a more technical issue, but one that's very important. What would the key benefit of the ECDC carrying out its own epidemiological surveillance bring and how could this help improve vaccination coverage rates across the EU in your view? Uh, I think uh, the role of ECDC might be very important because uh, if you perform a surveillance on vaccine preventable diseases at uh, transnational level, you get uh, the accumulation of more data, you get more solid data, you can uh, see where the infection is spreading, where are the pockets of susceptibility, where, and so you can also fix and sustain vaccination with the customized uh, vaccination programs. And also you, you can uh, get uh, a picture of the coverage in uh, all the countries if the ECDC is collecting those data. And so it, since, as we said, viruses and bacteria are not stopped by national borders, but they cross from one place to the other, from one country to the other, if we get uh, the basic uh, numbers of those vaccine-preventable diseases and of the coverage of the vaccine that we have available, we can uh, forecast uh, a Europe-wide uh, vaccination uh, program and also, as I said, decide how to better use those vaccines in the different contexts. So I see this as an important achievement that the new ACDC should try to achieve. And I agree with what Sibylia now said, that there are examples. And I believe that the ECDC did not engage so much in transnational common way of collecting data and of collecting vaccination coverage, because also their mandate was a little bit weak. It was not very clear what they should do and what they are not allowed to do. 
And this is also reflecting, and I'm going back to the previous topic of uh, the private-public uh, partnership, sometimes they are afraid of engaging with the industry, but industry is uh, one of the important players in the overall uh, deployment of vaccination programs. So we need public health, we need the vaccine manufacturers, we need the doctors, the nurses, we need everybody to go in the same direction. And if one of the players is out, uh, this makes things difficult. And we also need to build uh, something against hesitancy. And if uh, in a transparent way, we involve also industry in the discussion at the institutional level, we make people understand that there is nothing hidden behind the vaccination and vaccination programs, but uh, every player has its role in a very transparent way. And uh, we have seen that the CDC did not engage, for instance, in the IMI projects uh, like Advance and Drive, because uh, probably some of the countries have regulations by which uh, the public health institutes cannot engage with industry. But uh, I think that even if some country has this kind of regulation, this is a transnational body, and uh, the EU regulation should foresee that uh, the ECDC should speak uh, leg- regularly also with the industrial partners. So I don't see why this should not be made clear in a transparent way and uh, implemented very, very clearly and very soon because we need a stronger ECDC. Right. I mean, clearly this is a very sensitive issue and there's a balance as there is in everything else. Joe, I don't know if you have some views about what the balance is. The question is just, it should be possible to have a scientific dialogue and also to talk about supply. In Germany, there was a recommendation to vaccinate everybody with pneumococcal vaccines in early 2000. And all of a sudden, there was a huge demand and there was no pneumococcal vaccine. And that is the type of issue that evolves if you don't talk to each other, if you don't tell them we're going to say that and please be prepared. So it's not only demand, but it's demand and supply. In addition, the first pneumococcal conjugate vaccine out there, PCV7, did not have the serotypes that we needed in Europe and in Asia. So if you don't talk to industry, you don't get what you need. And you don't know what will happen. I mean, that is the other issue, right? If you're not informed, you don't know what the license will look like, what will be the exclusion criteria with regard to age or other restrictions. So there is a need for scientific talk and there is a need for supply interactions. That is the two items that I see. And very clearly, there must be a very transparent way for all interactions. And Sibelia, would you concur with what Joe's just said, or do you have something to add on that? I would concur in the sense that we actually call for collaboration and dialogue with the institution indeed to share the information, the data, and what is needed actually to run correctly the studies, but as well as for a good allocation of the resources and avoid duplication in an environment where the level of expertise is huge, is very high, and the quantity of expertise is not so high. So it's important that we avoid duplication. And in that regard, we do ask for a sound regulation of this engagement according to the state of the art standards, regulating the stakeholders' engagement with the public institution. With regards to duplication, indeed, Paolo mentioned the IMI drive initiative. Actually, the COVID drive has been set up also. What is important to know that the vaccine industry have the obligations to run the post-marketing surveillance study for EMA. This is an obligation. So we have to report the safety and the monitoring of the vaccine effectiveness. 
But the CDC is doing it in parallel, completely in an independent way. So we need to ensure that the protocols that we are using are similar for harmonizing the outcome of studies. But more than anything else, the fact that studies are run independently create complexity because we are basically competing on the same sites to collect those data. And therefore, with the duplication of resources and limited opportunity to get a sufficient sample size to provide a meaningful assessment, this can impact actually the quality of the studies that we are running. And in the end, it does impact what we are doing from a public health standpoint. So to go back to your question, Hélène, yes, we need a sound way to collaborate together, but we need to find also a way to avoid those duplication and to best use our resources for the right quality to ensure a meaningful assessment of what we are doing. Great. If I can turn to just a related subject, because one way or another, we've all been talking about data and data is the holy grail, I think, of the modern age. So What are the benefits, if you put that in lay terms, of increased data sharing and pooling of information and resources at EU level? As you know, there's a big sensitivity amongst the member states about the ECDC or European institutions telling the member states what to do. So what can we get out of increased data sharing? What's your view, Polo? I think that uh, for sure, uh, single countries might be jealous of their data, but uh, we should not uh, impede to send the single country to use their data, to publish their data and uh, to make the use they prefer of those data, but uh, they should also share them together with the other countries. Because sometimes, uh, as Sibylia mentioned, if you uh, only get a uh, few data, you don't have any certainty. Also, the confidence intervals, for instance, for influenza incidence, if you collect the data at the European level, you can also infer the effectiveness of the vaccines, for instance, if you pull the data, you get this. But if you do not put all the data together, you get uh, very poor data that are not useful for anybody, not even for the single country. So I think that it is in the interest of all countries of Europe to get this data collected in a very big database where everybody can find its own national data, but you can also find the pooling of the data so that uh, you can uh, make an inference on the effectiveness on the circulation of the viruses, on the type of viruses or bacteria that are circulating. So it's an advantage for everybody. It's a win-win situation. But uh, the only difficulty is to make them understand that the ECDC is not stealing their data, but it's just a service for them. And I go back to the issue of the credibility of the people who work there, of their excellent scientific profile and of their ability to show their willingness to collaborate and also to help the single countries. I've read in the proposals that uh, there should be also some teams of experts from ECDC that should visit the country upon their request to help them solve some issues on vaccine prevention or on circulation of certain pathogens. So I think that uh, these teams of experts can uh, be perceived as people who are really willing to help with no hidden way of uh, taking the data. No, it's not that. It's that they just want to help those countries that need uh, their help. And if uh, they are able to build this kind of network, probably also the single countries will uh, lose their lack of confidence in the CDC. And uh, this might be a very useful uh, body, which helps every single country. Anything to add, Sibylia or Joe, on that? The one thing I would add is, 
I don't care so much about the details of the data if the data are valid. And that is the problem right now in Europe. We don't have valid data for most countries with regard to burden of disease and vaccine uptake. We don't know the vaccine uptake for German children aged one or two years in a timely fashion. And the data that is produced is not really valid. It's not of much use. So this is the current situation. And the goal of the CDC could be just to say, this should be the standard. And you have the standard and then we publish it or you don't have the standard and then we don't even reference the data. So goal setting would be the goal and not the details. If the goal is achieved, that's fine. And I do think that COVID-19 demonstrated what could be achieved, actually, because when we look at what the CDC is publishing on a weekly basis today with regards to the level of testing uh, for each member state, the vaccines coverage rates, every two weeks they are actually collecting those data. This is never seen before in the area of vaccination. There is no way we know on a weekly basis, what is the vaccination coverage rate for any of the vaccines in any national immunization programs. So here in terms of benchmark, and I do echo what Joe and Paolo said, is we need a benchmark. Definitely here we are kind of starting one in the context of COVID-19. And ideally, this should be expanded to all vaccines provided by national immunization programs. Great. Um Another question related to what we've just been discussing is this issue, and it's a Brussels word called subsidiarity, which means you should do policy at the appropriate level to get the job done. So looking forward at future pandemic preparedness, what would you think are the key things that benefit, we've talked about some of them already, from EU coordination and then at global level, what needs to be done better? And how can the balance be achieved via the revision of this regulation of uh, where things should be done best? Because I think, Joe, you had strong feelings, uh, strong views on this. <laughs> Actually, data collection cannot be done by ECDC, right? They can go to here and there and try to collect data. But in most countries, it's down to municipalities or county level where the data need to be collected. And that has to be done all over the place, not just in one county or two, but there may be pockets and that's where you have to be. And ideally in a COVID pandemic, as we know from there, or from influenza, you name it, it has to be everywhere. So they should set the standards, how to collect the data, what the quality should like and how it should be reported. So again, it is the goal and the scientific advice, but uh, harmonization of all these details and who is doing what, we don't need to discuss. It has to be done at a local level, right? ECDC has to give the standards how to do it, and they can give some help here and there, but they can never be everywhere. So I don't see a big problem there if the mindset is, this is high level, this is the plan, this is the goal, and this is what you should do, or this is the type of quality we want to see, and this is how you should report it. That would be my wish. Okay. We've had quite a good discussion. So I was wondering, in closing, if you could each perhaps give us your views on what would be the one thing that you would hope would be prioritized in this revision of the ECDC regulation? Maybe I can turn to you, Paolo, first. To give a stronger structure to the CDC, probably they also need more people to do the job because, as mentioned before by Joe and by Sibilia, the CDC, which might be an example, is much more powered. And I think that they need more workforce, but to do what? To 
set up what Joe said now. So the standards of the data that must be collected and how they have to be collected, it doesn't matter who collects them locally and what is the, the local way of collecting those data, but the standards must be there so that every country can report uh, the data that are needed to perform this surveillance and also to get uh, an overall picture of EU for coverage and for the surveillance of vaccine-preventable diseases. Thank you. Now, Joe, the ECDC did have a raise in budget from 2020, 66 million, to 2021, 76 million. Do you think that it's going to be properly resourced? Yeah, you're never too thin and you're never too rich. So the answer is probably <laughs> uh, yes, but we could need more. I think these should be the top scientists that name the health goals for Europe, specific and with a date. Measles elimination by 2030 or no bronchial carcinoma, 50% reduction of colon cancer by whatever. And if they come up with good scientific guidance, I think that would be wonderful. And in addition, there certainly needs to be more digital resources and more human resources. Fantastic. Sibelia, can I ask you what would be the key thing that you would hope to see out of this revision of the ECDC regulation? There is so many, but beyond the mandate, I believe that the ECDC governance is in fact critical. The way actually the ECDC's decision-making process is defined should definitely be part of the proposed regulation, because this is where everything starts with regards to the engagement of the ECDC and external stakeholders, including the industry. And, and we should have actually as a relevant modification of this decision-making process to guarantee that the CDC can take decisions by itself, via its management team, according to its indoor strategic roadmap and extended mission. And we sense that there is a conflict between the role of the management team and the advisory forum, and the advisory forum should really be there to support uh, the director in ensuring the scientific excellence and independence of the activities and opinion and should definitely not overlap with the role of the ECDC management team or of the management board. So in that regard, ensuring that this decision-making process of the ECDC is tackled by the regulation is one of the key to ensure a different way for the ECDC to engage externally. So thank you very much. I'd like to now conclude today's proceedings by thanking Professor Joe Smith, Professor Paolo Bonani, and Sibelia Kalici for an excellent discussion. If you've enjoyed this podcast, I hope you will join in the conversation, share it with a friend, and you'll find it on social media under the hashtag 19conversations. So with that, I'm Elaine Crookshanks, and I want to thank you all for listening today and see you in a future occasion. Bye. 